Good morning. Good morning. Wasn't it wonderful to worship the Lord together? Really it was. We, we just want to honor the team. Really, I know you guys work very hard. Can we just honor the team? Really, can we do that? You know, my wife was, you want to talk about vulnerable, she was, uh, she had just like a sinus issue this week. So, you know, when you're a worship leader and you're like coughing and you, you're not sick, it's just from, you know, allergies and stuff. And the whole week I know she's thinking, man, I have to sing on Sunday. And, uh, but then the anointing of the Lord comes and takes over and everything's fine, right? Amazing. I want to read you a, a, a scripture. It says, my son, hear the instructions of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. So I say that, it's Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, and um, you know, obviously my mother is not, she's not here, she's not with us, she's actually in South Africa at the moment, but I was blessed with an amazing mother who just exudes love, she really does, but you know, sometimes it's, it's the things our parents say to us that stick with us, and it's not just, you know, scriptures they teach us, or this thing, when I was running wild, we'll say. We'll just call it that. I was very into boxing and boxing and strength training and so forth. And my mother used to say to me a few times, just she said it, I don't know, many times, but as I was heading out the door for the evening, probably to her horror as to where I was gonna go or what was gonna happen, you may need to turn me a little down, sorry. And um, she said to me, son, 20 seconds is 20 years. And it pierced me, like 20 seconds of anger, because I was big, strong, and a boxer, and so forth. And some of the things I was involved in, there was probably gonna be drama at some point. And, uh, and for some reason, that little sentence, 20 seconds will put you somewhere for 20 years. You know, jail. And it, I don't know, I, can, I can't explain it, but it was like that scripture. It's like, a, like a something around my neck. It was in my ears wherever I went in those years. 20 seconds is 20 years. And the amount of times there was an opportunity to react, and I would hear that sentence. 20 seconds, 20 years. And that's moms, man. Their, you're going to use that? You're welcome. It's not from me. But their prayers, their prayers guarded me. Guard, you know, you pray for your children, mothers. Don't look for results. You have no idea what your prayers are doing. They go into situations. I cannot tell you the time. This is not anything to do with the message, but the times where everyone was lined up by the authorities and everyone was like all in a long line and they would get to me and say, not him. I don't know why, but now I know why. Praying parents. Amazing. Amazing. God is so gracious, even in your mess. He loves you. Pray for your children. I encourage you. Mothers, we thank you. Seeing uh, my wife become and go through motherhood, I tell you, it's the most selfless thing you could ever see. Nothing belongs to them. Their time, their sleep, their food, their body, nothing. They die in every way. Nothing. It's just extremely selfless. Motherhood is an, in, an incredible thing. So can we just give, can we stand, just give a really big hand to the mothers? Can we do that? If you're a mother, we thank you. Really. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Yeah, it's wonderful. Enjoy Mother's Day today. I'm paging back and forth, forgetting where we are. Please go to, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Last week we started on something that I've preached before a couple times. The Lord put it on my heart to go through it again. It's things we know, nothing new, but, you know, we need to hear some things again. And we've been looking at the story of the prodigal son. Jesus never called it that. He called it the story of a father with two sons. The story was more actually about the father than the children. But Jesus came to reveal the father. He came to reveal who his father was. Because with all that they knew of God and knew about God in the Old Testament, it was wonderful, but the expression of a father was not fully seen. So a son came to reveal a father. And I know I said this last week, but I, uh, there's a book written by two <clears throat> Baylor University professors, and I think they partnered with the Dharma, Dharma Project, uh, I forget his name, and uh, they did a lot of research, wrote a book, I think many thousands of churches, and they asked people, what's God like? And uh, the, the response was, I'm just going to kick that off, the response was 91% of the United States, Christians in the United States, do not believe in God. In, they do not see God in any way that looks like Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we know Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This, we know that. But the view of the Father is skewed. And Jesus said, this is what my Father's like on the cross. It's an incredible, it's an incredible truth. So we're going to read in a little bit. But when Jesus got to the earth... The religious leaders had become so disconnected, if we could say, so disconnected from who God actually was, they became zealous and passionate about what the Bible calls the tradition of the elders or uh, the tradition of my fathers, Paul would say. They became so zealous and passionate about that, which was actually a whole bunch of extra things they added to the law that God never said, that upheld them, their pomp and their ceremony and their positions and their titles. And they became extremely zealous for that. And it's not who God, they became disconnected from the head, disconnected from the source. To such a degree that the son can come and stand before them and they cannot, they cannot even identify who he is. They're actually upset by him. And so Jesus tells this story. And the context is actually this. Luke 15 verse 1 and 2, it says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to, near to him, that's Christ, to hear him. You know, did you ever think why people flocked around him? Obviously because of the power of God, the miracles, the anointing. But I also believe that being around Jesus was probably the greatest expression of what it was like to be around a father. Even for those older than him. To be loved, though he sees right through you. I mean, if you stood before the Lord, he saw right through you. But all you felt was love unless you were a Pharisee. No, he, he did love them. But to be around him was that expression, and these people were, were drawn to that. And it says, all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke a parable to them. And he spoke to them about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and I call it the lost sons, because both sons were lost, which we'll see in a moment. 
And the father was shamed. Let's go read. We did this last week. Can we just read a little bit about the first son? Let's go to Luke 15, verse 11. It says, a certain, a certain man, <clears throat> Jesus speaking, had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of good, goods that, was, that falls to me. So he invited to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together, gathered all, gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. When he had spent all there, the, when he had spent all, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began <coughs> to be merry. So we firstly have to understand that this was spoken to a crowd of Jewish men, Jewish fathers that was built upon a shame and honor society. And I know I covered that extensively last week, but unless we hear it how they heard it, we don't actually realize what Jesus was teaching, what Jesus was saying. And, and they were horrified in a sense at what Jesus was saying. It was so against the culture. No father would have responded like that. We went over this last week. If you need to go listen to it, I encourage you to do that. But what we see at the end is the father shames himself to run as we went through was to be shamed as an older Jewish man over 40. And so he shamed himself in an honor and shame society to put himself in between the shame that was owed to the son from the community. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We're about family. But to put himself in between the shame that is owed to his son from the community and they would feel righteous doing it. They would actually feel righteous doing it because it was a shame and honor society. That's how far they had moved away from the heart of God. And they believed they were right. And so what does he do? He puts himself in between. He fell on his neck and kissed him. He shows him love, what it is to be loved, regardless of your situation, love. He put on him a festive robe of honor. That's identity. He put a ring on his hand, authority and dignity. You know, I do not have time for this, but we'll try. I went to a wedding many years ago. I was in ministry and so forth. But I, in, growing up, there was uh, like an older cousin type person. I'm not sure. You know, it's like a second, third step. Who knows? One of those guys. And I, I looked up to him. I thought he was like amazing, you know. And then I grew up and I went to this wedding and he was there and he was just this broken shell of a man. And he was walking around like begging for cigarettes because he had run out of money. He, had no, he wanted to smoke. And my heart broke, and I looked at this man, and I thought, man, it, it just broke my heart. And as a person in ministry, because I saw his dignity is gone. So I thought, in order for me to talk to him, 
he actually needed to give him dignity in the way that he would. So I, I said, hey, come with me. And I took him to the store and I bought him a whole carton of cigarettes. People say, oh my goodness, you did that as like a Christian pastor or whatever. And I said, here. And he looked at me and he just said, that, thank you. So I said, yeah, you, you don't have to ask for, for that. Then we sat down and he had a smoke and I began to talk to him about the Lord. Sometimes dignity has to come first. And he began to weep. Sandals on his feet, <laughs> purpose, and the fatted calf showing his son worth before he felt worthy. Worth before he felt worthy. Mm. Second son. So that was my attempt at a recap. So, second son. We hear many sermons on the prodigal son, many sermons on, on the first son. Many. If you've been to church for a year, you'll probably hear a sermon on the prodigal, the prodigal son, what he did and how wonderful the Lord is. But very few sermons on the second son. And for me, this son, this, the older son, the second son, this is a far bigger issue in our culture. A far more prevalent, far more difficult to diagnose because it's people that thinking that they're right. To, to identify, to see rebellion is easy because you can see it, you see what they're doing. To see religious activity with, a, in a sense, a broken heart is difficult. It's more subtle because they're doing the right things but from the wrong place. And it's prevalent in this culture. In this culture, you could, in the church, it's, I call it religion, we'll define it in a second, or religiosity or religianity, it's my new word. But in, in, in the world, in the culture that we all live in, it's like a performance culture. And we are saturated with that in this area. Would you agree? Everything's performance. Everything's performance. So, I believe with all my heart that Jesus here is actually addressing a religious system that has lost connection with God. Who's he speaking to? The Pharisees. Why? The disgust in their heart over how he is loving people that they don't think are worthy to be loved. And they're upset about it. And yet they're leaders. So he starts to speak to scribes and Pharisees revealing his father, what his father's like with this story, but I believe he's addressing a religious system. A religious system. So, when I talk about religion, I know the Bible, it's not a bad word. The Bible says, you know, in James, it says pure religion is to, is to some says to visit orphans, but it says to, um, uh, to, to widows and, and orphans, to look after widows and orphans and to, not love your life unto death. So that, in a sense, is a good thing. But I'm looking at Colossians 2. Colossians 2 says, having appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion and false humility. That's what I'm talking about. A religious system that is not connected anymore to the source and often doesn't know it because they're doing all the things they feel like. They're following all the rules. So I, I call it this, and it's a similar in a performance culture. You can even apply it to your business, your family, your life. It's form without life. So a corpse is, has a form. Its form is there, but the life is gone. But the, the form is there. It's structure without connection. You can have a structure, business and a family and a church. You can have structure, but without the purpose of it, with no connection. It's activity without transformation. Busy being busy, but nothing's changing. It's like the wheels of a car spinning, but 
so it's being held off the ground. They're like, man, we are moving it. Like, nope, you're actually going nowhere. Lots of activity, but no transformation in the culture, in the heart, in our region. It's function apart from fellowship. Working with people, but never actually knowing them. And that has saturated our culture. It really, really has. And it's come into the church. Let me read you this. The rebellious son never understood what made him a son. It wasn't his behavior. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be a son. It wasn't his behavior, but his birth. Likewise, the religious son never understood what made him worthy of an inheritance. It was not his efforts nor his success, but his birth. His birth. That's it. <laughs> to intimately know, to intimately know in your heart, not here, what it is that makes us sons is the only thing, and by sons I mean ladies too, because the Bible calls us a bride, so if I have to wear a dress, the, the Bible says you are in Christ and he's the son, so your sons too, your daughters, but you're called a son, okay? So it's fair, okay? So the only way for mature sons to carry what only a son can carry, what only a mature son can carry, requires to know what makes you a son. And what is that? Well, it's love. And to know that here. For God so loved. Jesus loves me, we know Jesus loved. But for God so loved, he sent his son. It's love. The love of a father, the embrace of a father. That's what makes you sons. Nothing you do, you can't make yourself a son, you're born a son. You have to be born again. You, it's your birth that makes you a child of God. How blessed it is, brethren, that we could be called children of God. That knowing that here is what positions you. We are called to good works. We are called to do things. We are called to serve. We are called to lay down lives. We are called to sacrifice. But the motivations behind those things is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Because the Father often cannot answer our prayers sometimes because it's like a screaming child for a popsicle. You don't give it to them when they're screaming because you're training them what to do in order to get something from you. And sometimes, and I know I said this last week, the Father, I always ask myself the question, what am I, am I exhibiting an identity that he cannot reinforce by answering my prayer? You can't reinforce a false sense of identity if it's coming from the wrong place, even though he probably wants to answer the prayer, but he can't train me. This is how I need you to be in order to get something. Does that make sense? Made sense in my head. So, and uh, personally, I, I, I've shared this before as well. I, I've been both sons. I, I really and truly and really and truly and really and truly have. I went from being outwardly the first son, and I got saved, and God took a hold of my heart and set me free and changed me. It was incredible. But I became the second son. I went into the religious world with this, like into the church, with such a sense of, I love the Lord, I mean, I love the Lord, but I had this deep insecurity in me, and I don't know where it came from, deep, it, it crippled me. And I just wanted to prove myself. 
wanted to show people I, I was good at something. And so before I was looking for what does the world approve of, this desire for approval and acceptance drove me to do things that is not part of who I am. So I found what they celebrated. Man, I can do that better than all of you. I took that without knowing it. It's not like you wake up thinking like this. Who knows? But it's deep inside of a person. Why? Because God puts a desire for significance. He actually puts that there. But the enemy twists it. And then I would go to the church. Now I'm saved. The Lord loves me. I love the Lord. But that part of me needed help. And I became what that church culture that I was around at that, that time in South Africa what they celebrated, man, I became that. And I, it's like, this is what I need to do for acceptance? Well, I can do this. And I came better at the religious game than many of them. It's the same issue. Look, I can do, I'm good at something. I can, I can do this. And the heart becomes clouded by religion. Doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. in search of approval, in search of acceptance. Paul said he desired to advance beyond his peers. And he was talking about the traditions of the elders, the traditions of his fathers, the non-biblical stuff that they had added, that formed their culture, that formed this culture where they professed to know God, but they didn't know him at all. Paul said, I was zealous after that stuff, the culture, the performance. Man, I could, I could do that. Not, with, not always with a bad heart. We're blinded by it. But it drives us, the motive. I need something from people. I need to please, to prove, to, to show. You know, the Israelites got set free from Egypt, yeah? But it's a tragic story. It's wonderful because that represents salvation. But the Israelites got set free from Egypt, and as you know, we've all heard it before, but God had to take them through the desert to get Egypt out of them. And they couldn't weather the second journey. They could make the first one out, but they couldn't weather the second one which was to go into Canaan. So they were set free from the world, salvation. They were set free. They were saved. But they could not enter into promises. And so they all died as free men in the wilderness because they couldn't weather the second journey of actually stepping into the promises of God. And their children fought their battles. The children fought the battles that were meant for their parents. This is what religion will do. It is what a performance culture will create in the church, in the world, in a family. They escaped for a purpose they never walked into. Think about it. It kind of stains the exodus from me. It kind of stains the victory of leaving. They all died there. They're free, but they never walked into purposes. Hello? So, we must see a generation. We must see a generation. We must see a generation of God's people who know who He is. Really know who He is. Why? Because for God's people to know who He is, so they can know who they are, so they can show who He is. Only a son can reveal a father. Amen. Hello. For God's people to know who he really is, friends. To know him. Why? So they can know who they are. 
what's being in the world right now, identity. So they can show, demonstrate who he is. That is God's plan. So, let's go read the second son. Go to verse 25. It says here, now his older son was in the field. So it's a story of a father with two sons. I separate these parables. They're like two parables to me. But his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called, just like we were doing just now. Wonderful. So if you struggled with that, well, take it up with the Lord. And he came and drew near the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in to, you know, to the festival. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Just for those of you who don't understand that, that means they were going to kill the goat and eat it. I say that because we have two, and uh, I'm just saying, I want to be biblical. So it says here, so he says, no, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment, you never gave me a young goat. Verse 30, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. So, we're going to go over some markers, some signs, because this that I'm talking about, it's the default setting. It's the default setting of our old nature. It's the default setting of our culture. We tend to go back to legalism. We tend to go back to control. We tend to gravitate towards it. And so these markers or signs, they're not, it's just from my journey. It's just what I see here. But it doesn't mean that they're all happening. It's just how we can tell. First thing we see, religion is joyless. Using the definition of religion that I gave. You can also call, call it a performance culture. Religion is joyless. He heard music and dancing. Right? It's like he said, joy, what's all this music and dancing? What's going, this is, this is church. This is, the good news is serious business. You know, that's kind of what he's saying. No, it's not. It's good news. It's good news. And it's like he didn't even understand it. What's, this, what's going on here? What's all this dancing? What's all this joy? For hundreds, sometimes thousands of years in certain places, it was not allowed in God's house. Joy. <coughs> joy. Happiness. Fun. Laughter. Not just spiritual joy. Games. Family. Community. Joy, you know, joy. <clears throat> it's like, no, this is serious. This is eternity. Yeah, but God's joyful. Yes. Yes. 
people are more comfortable to express joy outside in the world than we are in our Father's house. It's nuts. It's crazy. You know what brings joy to my heart? When I see my children in my house laughing. Joy. Joy. I could just say it over and over. Religion is joyless. Absolutely joyless. In Acts chapter 8, you see what we would call a revival breakout. Breaks out. And it says many was, the lame were healed, the demons came out. There was all those things, which we see some of that and we long for more and it's wonderful. But one of the most powerful things, and it says, and there was great joy in the whole city. Now I've experienced that once. <clears throat> I've seen many, many powerful moves of God by the grace of God. And I'm sure there's much I've never seen and there's always more. But I grew up seeing some of that. And you know what I learned? There was always joy. There was always joy. But I, when in 1995, South Africa won the World Cup rugby, and it was a very interesting time in the nation. And let me tell you, what happened after? It was like the city rejoiced. My father and mother, they took us out. We were teenagers. They took us for milkshakes. They closed streets down. I mean, there was a party in that city, and I never forgot what that felt like. The whole city rejoiced. Division left because of joy. Why? Because we won a game. Do we not have more to celebrate? We won a game that I didn't even play. I didn't play in the game. I just watched it. Joy. I, I have this thing in my heart for the state of the church. The state of the church universal, it, it like it weighs on me. And I've realized that joy is strength. Yes. Yes. So if you take joy out of the church, maybe that's the reason, a big reason for the state of the church. No strength, no joy, no strength. Joy of the Lord is our strength. So remove joy, no strength. Religion is joyless. Absolutely joyless. It's a serious business, this eternal life stuff. Second, religion creates positional identity. It says he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? Why? Well, back to cultural examination. Culturally, the eldest son was the, the host of all these types of things. He had to host it. He had to celebrate it. He was the guy who would know what... He, that was his responsibility. He was the host. But he comes in and he hears something going on without his say-so. And he's like, how dare you? How, that's for me to do. How dare you? That's mine. Why? Because religion creates identity in positions. Positions should actually show you your responsibility in the church, in business, in family. Not identity. And he had put his identity in this position because of this whole shame and honor society, this religious society. And he's like, what is this? They didn't ask me. 
They did, how dare they? That's for me to do. Friends, wherever you place your identity is where you will draw acceptance and approval from. Wherever it is. You will draw acceptance and approval from wherever you put your identity. That's why there's only one safe place to put it. <laughs> See, a person at peace, a son at peace, could have just walked in because he has nothing to prove. Who, who, who gave the go-ahead? Who, instead of just walking in and seeing there's a celebration because of his father's decision, and he walks in and goes, hey, who, does everyone have what they need? What's happening? What are we celebrating? And just begins to host because he's free here. He couldn't do that. He had to know what's going on, why, who said so, this is for me, how dare you violate something that is for me. And now the celebration is no longer a celebration because one, one insecure son creating a scene. <laughs> you know, when a family goes on vacation, when they celebration, and they go on vacation, they're sitting in, on the beach or in the lake house or whatever, in the mountain cabin, and they're just kind of just sitting around. No one's sitting there as a family going, okay, that's the father, that's, I'm the brother, that's the sister. <laughs> Who thinks like that? Right? Then why do we do that in the church? Because God wants a family. Why do we think so much like that in the church? <laughs> I don't know. It's one of the enemies subtle to bring religious performance in. Oh, and now he takes the joy, strength is gone. Third, religion or performance culture values the traditional structure. I'm going to speak about this one and take some time on this one. I have seven we're not gonna get done today. We'll probably carry on next week, but religion values the traditional structure more than those in it. Now, for those of you who don't like structure, you heard structure is bad. No, structure is good. Structure is vital. I had to learn that because I'm sometimes not a fan. But he was angry. He was angry. And he did not go in, and his father had to came out, come out to him. It's like the Sabbath. Jesus heals a, a woman who's been bound with issues for 18 years. He heals a man with a withered hand, both of them on the Sabbath. Right? And people get mad. They're like, oh, great, heal, wrong day. <laughs> That's what happened. Wrong day, Jesus. What does he say? Like, Man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. You've exalted the structure we put in place above those in it. You missed the point entirely. My son has been healed. A number of years back, he got healed from severe allergies. I mean, they were like we could hardly touch him sometimes. Skin would flake off. It was awful when he was a baby. And we fasted and prayed. It's a, long, it's a wonderful story. But he got healed. We have medical reports. If I had a person come to me and said, oh, wrong day, I probably would have punched him. <laughs> With all my Christianity. 20 years, what? 20 years, 20 seconds. 20, 20 years, 20 seconds. <laughs> Thanks, Carly. 
20 seconds, 20 years, buddy. That was awesome. But friends, I'm like, oh, really? 18 years of affliction. Oh, wrong day. What is going on? When the structure is valued more than the reason it was put there, which is for people. I can get excited about this one. It's like valuing scaffolding more than the building. That's what it's like. I bought the scaffolding. I bought the best scaffolding. Look at it. Don't spill cement on the scaffolding. What is wrong with you, sir? We have a place for you. Come over here. I mean, and I see it in the church all the time. All the time. Not here. We're wonderful. Never here. Here, other, I see, and it happens to all of us in our hearts. The stuff that, the structures that we need so things can flow, so things can run, become more important about the people that it exists for. And people get angry when you break it. You know that his father, had, he got angry. The word there is many angry, angry words for anger in Greek, but it's orgizio. It means exasperated wrath. It wasn't like he was like, mm, oh, okay. No. He was creating a scene to such a degree. And, he would, and, and you know that when he did that, culturally, was to bring shame on the father. Why is he upset? Because his brother brought shame. What's he, do, what's he doing? Bringing shame. Then his father has to come to him, which does what culturally? Bring shame on the father. And he wouldn't go in. Culturally, brought shame on the family. He's doing the same thing. In the name of doing what's right. And his father has to come out to him. What do we see here? The religious expression of this faithful son completely misrepresented the heart of his father. Faithful, faithful son, obedient son, did not know his dad. What does that reveal? A slave mindset and a slave heart. Jesus said what? A servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've chosen to call you friends. The implication is, the servant doesn't have access to the inner motivations of the heart of why something's happening. But a friend does. So a servant's value, a slave's value, comes from withholding, upholding the structure because that structure gives him money. That structure gives him value because he's involved in it. A friend knows the heart of the person and they love the person within, without that structure. doesn't matter. It's the person. What do we see more in the church? Businessmen, when, they, when you find a business, and I, I'm not, but this man, Kevin, runs a business like what I'm talking about in the good way, the people. And I've learned from watching him, for real. And when you join a company that knows, th you know that, you will work harder than you would somewhere else. Who knows what I'm saying? Yeah, it's the same in the kingdom. It's the same in the church. And so many, here we have a sibling, so many get angry when we see other siblings showing extravagant grace. And it angers us. Well, they, you know what they did? 
And we get angry when others are blessed and shown grace. Because in an institution, you cannot walk together unless you have agreement. In an institution, you cannot be together unless you have doctrinal agreement. God never wanted an institution. He wanted a family. You show me one family, just one day in a family, that they all agree about everything. Just one hour. Is it just my house? Family. Not doctrinal agreement. That may challenge you. Are we valuing structure more than the reason the structure exists? How did it start? Let us make man in our image. A father and a son said that. Not a CEO and a CFO. Not a pastor and a deacon. A father and a son. And he would not go in. He wouldn't go in. What is that? Who's more free in that moment? Not him. He ain't free in his heart. Because he thinks... You should, I mean, look what he did. Some of us are extremely justice-centered. That's me. That's why it was so easy for me to become the second son. Because it must be fair. There must be justice. What's right? If you're wired that way, I encourage you. Go and do a study. Because even this, you'll say, well, it's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. It's true. You go and do a study. I, I encourage you of how satisfied God's justice was with the sacrifice of His Son. Because that wasn't fair. That wasn't fair. The Bible says He was unjustly treated so that I could be justified. That's unfair. Because heaven's justice is different to earthly justice. Heaven's justice is, is it exhausts itself to find a way for redemption, restoration, without compromising the the integrity of his father. That's heaven's justice. The religious system values traditional structures more than the people inside it. Can we do one more? I have seven, so we'll just carry on next week. Religion, a performance culture, makes service a task rather than the delight of a son. He says, these many years I have been serving for you. The word serving there, you know what it actually is in the Greek? Slaving. The the, the NLT says, all these years I've been slaving for you. Why? Because he thought he was doing what he had to do to get an inheritance. The root word there means to bind and fasten with chains. His younger brother, which he was very mad about, asked an inheritance before his father died, basically wishing his father dead. He does the same thing. He's saying, all these years I've been serving for you, I've been bound with chains to serve in this family like a slave. I'm slaving until you die so I can be free. That's what he's saying. 
See, a son serves because he's part of a unit. He's part of a family. A slave serves to prove his worth. It always reminds me of a story. My youngest son, he's getting older now, so he, he will figure out one day that I tell stories about him when we preach. But I, I had a, like a 50 cents plastic toy, like a, nothing behind my back. I'd taken away from him because he was creating a scene. And, and while I'm standing there with him, the Lord begins to speak to me about this, like just in my mind and in my heart. And you know, when it's like the Lord speaks, sometimes you get distracted from what's going on. So he, he's just screaming. And he's upset. And why? Because I wouldn't give him a toy, right? Biblically, inheritance, the way it is biblically, we're in Adam. We're in Abraham. That's like how it is biblically. And now we're in Christ. But he's standing in a house, inheritance-wise, that belongs to him. The house is his, right? Because he's a son by birth. And he's freaking out because of a 50 cents toy. He's freaking out because of nothing, because of what he wants now, completely missing that the whole house is his. That's how God's trying to get us to think. He's like every spiritual blessing is in heavenly places. It's already yours. And we panic because I want it, I want that, I want it now. And then we freak out like a five-year-old, four-year-old standing there going, I want that toy, I want that toy. But the whole house is yours. Everything here, all I have is yours, son. And the father said, son, you are always with me. How could a son who is always with his father, think about that, completely miss his father's heart. Why? Because there's a big difference in being present, physically present, versus in your heart being there. It's kind of like coming to church. Oh boy. I can be physically present, but am I there with my father? Not to impress not to prove, not to worship in a certain way because I think they're what? None of that stuff. I can be present. Doesn't mean I know him. The son was, I'm with you always, but you don't know me at all, son. And that's not a rebuke. It's exciting. Why? Because <laughs> it means there's much more than this. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could come listen to someone talk once a week. Heaven help us if that's true. Much bigger. The whole house is yours in your father's house. It's all yours. In the Western church, I've seen it. People serve. They've been taught that we need to serve, we need to serve, serving is right, serving is right. But it's become a task. So now they're serving like, I need to serve. I need to serving is good. Now, serving is wonderful. Sometimes stop, stop, just put a towel over your arm and, you know, serve. Just put your arm around someone who's worse off than you and you'll get better perspective. Just serve. That, that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's bad. But from what position? 
Because what is the son saying? I obey, I serve, I obey, and then you give because I've earned. And you didn't give. You didn't give me a young God. But I obeyed and I earned and you must now. So obedience just became a requisite to make a demand. And I've seen when people serve with that heart, sometimes they don't know it, they get really upset when they're not thanked. They get really upset when it's not pointed out. Oh, now we're, we're, we're stroking the golden calf. They get really upset. Oh, man. And they create a scene. I and you didn't. And, you know, hurt, offended, they leave, they're mad, they don't know how I slaved. I'm like, it's your father's house. Everything you do, do it unto him. Doesn't matter what people say. But that, it sounds simple. Friends, it's, it takes time to let that sink into your heart. It happens to me. Still happens to me. I have to go through this again. Look at this again. Say, Lord, show me again. Show me again. Because we get upset sometimes. Maybe we should end there. Yeah, I think we're good with that. We'll probably have to continue next week. But friends, the religious culture, the religion, performance culture, it doesn't breed anything good. And it's difficult to address. Think about how stunned, absolutely shocked, the Pharisees would have been in their culture with what Jesus just said. You're saying he was a perfectly obedient child until he was a man. He, he never transgressed your command. He was obedient and there was no reward. Huh. Jesus, and we'll go into it next week, but Jesus is revealing something. Friends, one day you're going to get to that side. And the Bible says what's going to happen it's like everything you've done, basically, is going to be piled up, all piled up together, and they're going to set fire to it. What remains was coming from the life within you to the life, from life to life. What, it'll be tested with fire. Wood, hay, stubble, straw, gold, precious stones. And I'll show you next week, biblically, it's actually the motive sometimes. Behind we do what we do, that determines what it is. Not what we do, the reason. The reason. And God is so good, He's so good that He is addressing this because of His desire for you to have things, for, for His desire for you to be rewarded, for His desire for you to have much, to be trusted with much as a secure son. Not a performance, not a cultural performance, a religious performance. I see it in my own heart with my boys. When we're, walk, we're working out in the yard, I, I love to work outside. And, and I'm working, and they're kind of helping me. And my, you know, the one of them often comes outside and says, Daddy, I, can I just help you? And if I'm in a bad mood, it happens. 
I'm frustrated and I'm not getting done what I should get. I'm like, son, I don't think you know how to do this. And literally, he'd say to me, oh, that's fine, Dad. I just want to be with you. And I just... <laughs> you remember why the structure exists? Or we're working in the yard and they're breaking it instead of building it. And, you know, you build it, they smash it down. You build it, they smash it down. And you're like, son, please stop them. What are you doing? Now it's not fun to work with dad anymore. It's like I'm inside. And I get the job done with losing something much more valuable. What is your view of him? What is your view of your father in heaven? What do you think his view is of you? good question. The world is freaking out right now. Desperate for sons and daughters of God that know who He is so they can show others who He is. So, in your heart, ask yourself, what do I think, who do I think God is? Jesus said, I've come to reveal my Father. Look what I do. Look what I think. And what do you think God thinks of you? Do you know the Bible says He's thinking of you now? Well, we can't comprehend that. The Bible says that. His thoughts towards you are many and constant. To prosper you, to bless you. What do you think God thinks in His mind when He sees you? That will be determined by what you think in your mind when you see Him. Amen. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We need reminders. Dad, can you come pray for us? Why don't we stand? Bless you. Love you. To the mothers, happy Mother's Day. To the men, enjoy the steak you get to eat as an excuse because it's Mother's Day. It's wonderful. <laughs>